Thanks, Marsh Band. Awesome. Hey, my name is Alan. So glad that you're here. And welcome to the beginning of the seventh and final section of our whole shebang journey. If you are new or visiting with us, we've been spending all of 2010 looking at the overall grand story of God, and we are now entering the last section. So basically, this is the beginning of the end <clears throat> this morning. Uh, we are jumping into the last book of the Bible. If you brought your Bibles with you, which I encourage and hope that you did, uh, feel free to turn to that last book. That's where we're going to spend our time in the first few chapters of the book of Revelation. It's easy to find because it's the last book in the Bible. The book of Revelation, uh, no book is more confusing, is more avoided, is more uh, tricky than the book of Revelation. Typically, people have two different responses to the book of Revelation. Either they're obsessed with it, okay, either obsessed with it, and over the past hundred years, almost every uh, year has been labeled through manipulation of the numbers in the book of Re Revelation has been labeled as the last year and then it comes and goes someday somebody's going to be right but really that's not the point of the book of Revelation people are obsessed with the concept of the Antichrist so many different people have been claimed have been referred to as the Antichrist Hitler Mussolini Stalin Ronald Wilson Reagan Do you know why because his three names have six letters in each of them. Six, six, six. Ah! <laughs> uh, Gorbachev, uh, Hussein, uh, Barack Obama, Barney has been referred to as, that's the only one that has any credibility is Barney. There's, it talks about the dragon in uh, Revelation. And seriously, there's a website trying to describe to us that Barney is the Antichrist. And so there's one response is to be obsessed with the book of Revelation. And another which is probably more common response, is to avoid it. Is to stop reading once we get close to that book because it's just a little bit odd. One of the reasons that it's odd is that it is in a, it is in a style of writing that we're not used to. There is so much imagery. It is called the book of Revelation. It is a vision that John received. And it's difficult to translate a vision, a picture, an image into words. That's a difficult piece. And then for it, for it to be retranslated back for us to understand it. Just to give you an example of this, uh, if you would uh, be so uh, uh, kind, if you would just close your eyes for a moment. Okay, just close your eyes and imagine in your mind's eye a large animal, a great beast. Imagine in your mind's eye. I mean, this is something that is powerful enough to kill a human being and has killed a human being, something that, that could leap and is surpri can surprisingly move fast for its size, something that would require a tremendous hunter to be able to take it down. Do you have a picture in your mind? Open your eyes. Is this what you saw? Is this the image that you saw? A 480-pound beast with a spear on the front that when we put words and try to translate that into a picture, sometimes things are lost with all that. The book of Revelation can be a tricky book to understand. There are plenty of mysteries in it, plenty of reasons for us to stumble. And so let me just say as we're launching into this what our approach is to the book of Revelation over the next four weeks. Obviously, we're just going to scratch the surface of Revelation, but here's what we're going to go after what does this book, how does God want to use this book to inform us with regard to the end? 
What do we need to know about the end of the story through the book of Revelation? What is God inviting us to know about the end of the whole shebang story through this fantastic book called Revelation? That's where we're heading in these four weeks. Would you bow your heads with me? God, I pray that you would once again make the unexplainable explainable to us. That you have given us this gift and it is not to be obsessed over and it is not to be avoided. And so, God, we, we want to go head on into this book, not, not uh, assuming that we have it all understood, but assuming that you want to teach us something. So come, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, let's, uh, let's get started here. Revelation chapter 1, I want to begin in verse 9, it begins, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Here we got to kind of lay down some basics for what we're going after here in the book of Revelation. It's written by John. He's one of the apostles. He is one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. He's referred to in his own book as the disciple whom Jesus loved. A little self-focused there, but we'll, we'll see. Here's the, this is him. This is the John writing this book. He is on an island called Patmos. And this island is and was just east of what is modern-day Greece. And there are a group of, of islands there that the Romans would send people to, that would banish people to. Remember here in the first century, it is the Romans who were in power, and when someone was a threat to the empire, or when, if there was some kind of um, a judicial act that needed to happen, folks would be banished or sent to these islands, and they, they, could, they were stuck there. There's nothing they could do. They couldn't get off of these islands. So John was sent to the island of Patmos because he continued to proclaim the name of Jesus. And this continued to be a threat to the Romans. John is understood to have been about 90 years old when he wrote this. 90 years old when he was a prisoner on the island of Patmos. And uh, it is at that stage of his life, he, he's, he's the only one presumed to have lived that long of the 12 disciples. He's the only one presumed to have died a peaceful death. All the others were martyred. And it was John that God protected to bring to this point to bring this revelation to. So let's take a look at the revelation, continuing in verse 10. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll that you see what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. You know who John is talking about here? It's Jesus. John is painting a picture. This is a vision of Jesus speaking to him. If you have a red-letter Bible, you'll see that the words, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. This is Jesus speaking to John here in this 
moment. This is a great picture. It's a great example of how difficult it is to translate a vision, an image into words. And this is what John's trying to do here. This is language that we're often not so comfortable with. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This letter, this vision, the book of Revelation was written to these seven churches just northeast of this island of Patmos. And these seven churches each get a section, a paragraph, a section of Scripture over the next two chapters, chapters 2 and 3. Each church gets a mini section specifically for that church in red letters from Jesus Christ saying, here's what I am looking for. Jesus says specifically to these seven churches, He says, I've been watching you, here's what I see. What a gift this is. What a gift this is to be able to see what Jesus is looking for. How often in our relationships we're trying to please each other, we're trying to do well, we're trying to succeed in whatever way. How often do we want to know what really are you looking for? What does that look like? What a gift this is. I mean, for the gentlemen, for those of you who are married and, and, and your wife says to you, I just don't feel loved by you right now. Well, give us a little help with that one. I mean, what are you looking for? I just, I just rent, rented a movie with Reese Witherspoon. What else do you want from me? <laughs> I'd like a picture of what it is that you're looking for. Maybe it is with your kids. What, what are we looking for? What does success in parenting look like? Help me. If you're trying to please your boss, you're trying to succeed at, succeed at work, we want a picture. What are you looking for so I don't just spin my wheels and then at the end you say that's not, that's not right. What a gift this is for Jesus to say, here's what I'm looking for. And so what we're going to do here today in connection with this whole concept of, God, what do you want to teach us about the end through the book of Revelation? In these first three chapters, there, is a, there are seven examples of Jesus saying, here's what I'm looking for. Here's, what, here, here's my response to you specific churches. And then what we're going to say is, God, what do you want to say about this group of people, this church that gathers here on Pecos and 24th Street? You know specifically about these seven churches and their circumstances and what's going on. God, what is your specific word for this group of people on Pecos and 24th Street? What do you want to say to Mountain Park? Jesus, come, speak to us. So let's take a look at the first church, chapter 2. Verse 1, it begins, To the angel in the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Here he begins basically by saying, keep in mind who this is coming from. These are red letters. This is coming from Jesus. He continues, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name 
and have not grown weary. He gives them words of affirmation. He says, here's where you've done well. I've been watching. Way to go. Way to go. And then he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. He follows that affirmation with a challenge. He says, you have, you have lost your first love. And what we see in these seven sections that Jesus says to these seven churches, there is a pattern that we see in here. That in each of these seven sections, we see these same three pieces that Jesus starts by saying, remember who it is that's speaking to you. And then there's an image of Jesus that is sometimes a little odd for us to understand. It comes from chapter 1 and what John said in terms of who he saw behind him speaking to him whether it has to do with the double-edged sword coming out of a mouth or whatever, different kind of images, seven different ways to describe who it is speaking to them. And then then there there is an affirmation, and then there is a challenge. What a beautiful thing, a reminder that Jesus understands how we, his people, work. We need a little blending of those two things. We need a blending of affirmation and challenge. That's, that's those of you who are parents or who are bosses, we can't just jump right at the challenge all the time. Our, the human heart needs some affirmation. What a beautiful thing that Jesus says here. I want to encourage you in this way, and then I want to lovingly challenge you in this way. We're not designed to just take affirmation, 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 affirmation. You know what, that ha- what, what happens with our kids when we do that? They're rotten. Right? I mean, we can't just say, oh, you're such a, you're such a beautiful, oh, yeah, that was a good hit. Whatever. We, got, we can't just do affirmation, affirmation. We just get rotten. We can't just do challenge after challenge after challenge. We get broken. We get worn out. Jesus understands we got to do both. We got to give them affirmation, and then we got to challenge. What I want to do is take a look at the seven different affirmations that Jesus gives these churches, actually five, and I'll explain that uh, to you in just a little bit. I've got here up on, the, up on the screen each of the seven churches. And then what I want to do is kind of take a look at the affirmation Jesus gives these churches and say, as we step back, what kind of pattern do we see? What kind of overall affirmation has Jesus given these churches? To Ephesus, what we just read, he affirms them saying, you have hard work, perseverance, you've tested those who claim to be apostles. To Smyrna, he says, you, you, have, you are experiencing poverty, you're experiencing suffering, you're experiencing persecution. I see that, and I want to affirm that you're holding strong through that. To Pergamum, they did not renounce their faith. To Thyatira, which is my favorite word of those seven, it sounds like a, um, a muscle. You pull your Thyatira. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> he, says, he says he wants to affirm them for their love and their faith and their service and their perseverance. Sardis, he has nothing affirming to say. I wouldn't want to be the Sardisians. Uh, Philadelphia, he affirms them, keep the faith. And they did not deny his name when there was an opportunity to do so. In Laodicea, he doesn't have an, a word of affirmation for them. But what we see here, uh, actually what we do not see here in terms of affirmation for the, for the successful churches, we don't see anything about a big beautiful building. We don't see anything there even about a large crowd. We don't see anything there even about bringing people to Christ. 
Now, those are all, those are all great things. I, I mean, I, mean I, I love the fact that more people are coming. We want to reach this community, and, and those are all exciting things. I'm not going to pretend that those aren't important things or exciting things, but that's not what Jesus says here. Those are not the things that Jesus identifies saying, these churches, here's what I'm affirming you for. He affirms them for things like sacrifice. You have sacrificed. In other words, you have let go of the ways of the world in order to, to, to go after the ways of the kingdom. You have allowed Jesus to redefine what success is. Way to go. And with regard to the three T's, time, treasure, and talent, you are not using those in order to win in the world. You are using those in order to advance the kingdom. You have sacrificed. Way to go. And Jesus says to them, he says, way to go in terms of your persecution, in terms of your perseverance, through persecution, through whatever. Way to go in terms of your perseverance, in terms of hanging on, staying the course, even when things aren't going the way you hoped they would. Even when things aren't going the way you imagine success looking like, you are staying the course. You're persevering. Way to go. This means, for example, Holding steady, persevering in those friendship or neighbor relationships when people just don't act or say things in ways that seem human or kind or whatever. It means way to go in terms of persevering when your teenager is just wants nothing to do with you and just acts like she is from a different planet. Way to go in terms of persevering. Way to go. Way to go when, you're, when your husband's from Mars and your wife's from Venus. Way to go in terms of persevering. Hang in there. Can you persevere even when there's no benefit to you personally? Can you persevere even when you're not experiencing victory in your unwritten story? Simply because you know this is the right thing to do. Simply because you know this is the kingdom path. Way to go. And then he says, to Pergamum, he did not renounce your faith. Philadelphia, keep the faith. They did not deny his name. Way to go that they continue to proclaim the name of Jesus. Here, they were banished, they were killed, they were mutilated, they were burned at the, uh, on crosses because of their faith. And they said, way to go for hanging on. For for being focused that Jesus is the one that this is all about. See, Mountain Park is not a politically correct, spiritually ambiguous center for tips on how to do life, how to do marriage, how to do parenting. That's, that's not what we are. May God forgive me if I've ever been unclear about that. This is all about Jesus. We are the bride of Christ. Absolutely. Yes, it's packaged with great music and da 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 and whatever. There's the loving atmosphere and all that. But this is all about Jesus. The whole shebang, in case I haven't been clear, is all about Jesus. The whole thing ramped up towards the Messiah and the whole thing is flowing from and it is the Messiah who is the central character in the, in the end, in the Revelation story. It is all about Jesus. We gather. We gather here in this place to seek to learn about, to worship, to connect with the Son of God. 
So he has an affirmation for these churches. But he also follows those up with a challenge because he understands how the human heart works. We need to be affirmed so often before we can receive the challenge. So then he follows that up. I want to take a look at the seven challenges. Actually, there, there are six that we find and see what kind of patterns we can find from the challenges Jesus gives to these seven churches. So the first uh, thing I want to I pull out is the, is the challenge to be passionate. To be passionate. Here, look again at the, uh, the message to Ephesus. They have forgotten their first love. It's what we read earlier. Repent. Do the things you did at first. Ephesus is the same city that Paul wrote to earlier on. We wrote the, the book of uh, Ephesians. And this was a generation earlier when Paul was celebrating them, saying, way to go. You are going after the truth. Way to go. Way to go. Way to go, Ephesians. Awesome. You are passionate about the truth. And now here, a generation later, they are doing well. Jesus is affirming them for holding strong to the truth. But they're just kind of sitting comfortably in terms of their pursuit and their seeking in terms of their passion and Jesus wants to challenge that, saying, Can, let's revitalize your first love experience. Jump down to Sardis there, the fifth one. They had a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Sardis was a big booming city prior to, this, uh, prior to when this revelation was given to John. It was a big booming city. And then at this time, by the time this came around uh, for John to give this revelation... Sardis had, had been reduced to just kind of a simple village. And the comparison is made to the church. That the church at one point, point was alive. It had this great reputation. Wow, is this this great, amazing place? And so now it is kind of deadened. And how often in our personal experience or in our church experience did we have something great and then all we're doing is instead of trying to be alive now, we're just celebrating the glory days. We're just thinking back to the way it was. Oh, yeah, but back then, whoa. That reminds me of so, so many of the conversations I've had around here about Hot Church. Hot Church was this amazing student ministry that was happening over there that God just touched and blessed, and it was this great, incredible experience. But God is doing something different now. And so the issue is not to say, oh, wow, those were the glory days. Oh, no, the issue, what I'm passionate about is what is God doing now? through the leadership and through the students who have gathered there, God is doing something new. Let's celebrate what God did, but let's be passionate now about what God is doing now in our church, in our personal lives. To Laodicea, we looked at this a couple weeks ago. It says, you are lukewarm. Be earnest and repent. It says, you are neither hot nor cold. You're standing on the fence. What we talked about a couple weeks ago is the, is the fact that a lukewarm Christian really is an oxymoron. That there is an assumption that if we are followers of Christ, that we're going to be passionate about that relationship. It's not just one of 30 other things that we're going to kind of bring in to be a part of our life. If we're going to be a follower of Christ, that's the driver for everything. The assumption is that we would be passionate about that. It's often said, that leaders, when they're young, they're passionate, and they're go-getters. And then when they get older, more mature, they're wise. 
And it's kind of one or the other. That they're passionate without wisdom when they're young, or they're wise without passion when they're old. What I think Jesus is saying here is even as we mature as individuals, as a church, as we become more wise, may we hang on to the passion and not just kind of coast with wisdom. Be passionate, Jesus said. Second challenge that I think is clear through these words to these churches is uh, what we find in Smyrna. Be faithful, even to the point of death. For them, it was physical death. He says, be faithful. Be faithful. He says to the Pergamum and Thyatira, he says, this is not a typo, he says the same thing. Careful with unclean food, careful with sexual immorality. He challenges them in those two areas. Now the issue of unclean food, that's not beef versus pork. That's not, that's not the thing that we're to carry into our, uh, into our thinking here right now. The issue of unclean food had to do with, with in these areas, they were sacrificing food to other gods, to idols. And so this food is being sacrificed in other ways, and so people are just eating up this food and internalizing these beliefs and these thoughts. And Jesus was saying, I want you to not get mixed up in terms of your allegiance. I want you to be faithful to one God. One God. That there be no other God before me. God has said throughout Scripture, one God, be faithful to one God. And then sexual immorality, once again, is about being faithful. Be faithful to one person. Be faithful. I know there's temptations all around us. I know that in terms of worshiping other gods, other idols of success or whatever, in terms of sexual immorality, they're all around us. We want a little piece of that, a little piece of this, a little section of there. But just like Mick Jagger says, you can't always get what you want. I mean, you can't have, we can't have all these things that lay before us. I want a little bit of this. Let's be faithful to the one God. Be faithful to the one person that we're in covenant with. There's this very clear and powerful value that Christ gives us through this. The value of faithfulness. He's talking to seven churches we get a, a unique and wonderful glimpse into what is Jesus really looking for. And to these seven churches, he says, be faithful. That just kind of bumps up the value of faithfulness for me. Okay, so let's, let's turn it now back on this group that gathers here on Pecos and 24th Street. How... Would, what would Jesus say if there was a little section that was written in red letters to this place? And so I, I encourage you to think about what, what you think Jesus might say here. I, I've kind of been basking this in this, uh, this last couple weeks. And I believe, first of all, that Jesus would affirm. Uh, this sounds like a joke, but it's not. Let me explain myself. That it would affirm healthy leadership. Okay, just, just, just give me some space here. That's not, I don't mean, I, I'm not talking about me. I'm not, I, because when I say leadership, it's so much more than this one little Canadian. I'm a cog in, in the machine. That there, what I'm talking about is in terms of the overall leadership. I'm talking about the group of people who gathered to say, this is our church. I'm talking about the staff. I'm talking about the pastors, the directors. 
talking about the board. There's this awful reality that I have experienced in my experience, in my time in church ministry. This awful reality that things are a little bit darker behind the scenes than they appear to be out front. And I've just, I've just experienced that, that, that yes, uh, I'm not even talking about blatant sin. Yes, that happens so often, and it's, and it's a terrible, awful thing. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about just simple darkness, where, we, where there's politicking going on, where there is uh, uh, this kind of behind-the-scenes battles going on, and people just simply don't like each other. Maybe there's a lack of clarity as to are we going in the same direction. Maybe it's pacing issues. Someone thinks we're going too fast. Someone thinks we're going too slow. It's frustrating. Again, we just don't like being with each other. Let me tell you, and Jesus knows the truth here, that I, from my perspective, we are at a great, great place in terms of our leadership here. This is going to blow your mind, but we actually enjoy being together. We really do. We really do. It's awesome. And let me even blow your mind even more. I even enjoy board meetings. No pastor in the country can say that. Now, I do. Now, there's one little exception. Once we start getting deep into the financial stuff, I start to close my eyes and pray during the meetings. Uh, when you start, but for the most part, it is a great, healthy group of people. We challenge one another. We push against one another, but we really do care about one another. There is a healthy leadership going on here, and I'm celebrating it. It's just a fantastic thing, and I, I believe Jesus would affirm that. Now, maybe I'm being duped. Maybe I personally don't quite get it, and I just think things are better than what they are, and there's some staff in the back who are kind of nudging each other going, man, this guy's an idiot. He doesn't even know what's going on. Maybe, but I really don't think so. I think there's some healthy leadership going on here, and I think Jesus wants to affirm that. The second thing that I think Jesus wants to affirm here is that more and more people are taking ownership of this as their church. And that is a beautiful thing. More and more people are shifting from feed me, feed me, entertain me, fix me, fix me, to this is my church. I want to help. What can I do? What can I do? Let me give you a great example of that. The number of emails that I get about petty, stupid things has reduced significantly over the past year. Significantly. Let me give you an example of that. Last week, I shared with you, I informed you that we're going to try something with next week's message. Next week is going to be, oh, sorry, yeah, next week is going to be part two of this, and it's called, What the Hell is Going On? And this is a time where we invite you to, to invite your friends, coworkers, family, etc. And we wanted to inform you, because the last thing we want to do is offend those of you who are faithful here. We don't want to offend you at all, but we want to catch the attention of those who drive by, who might want to, who might want to have, who might have that question burning in their head, and they want a safe place in order to ask that question. So, right or wrong, that's what we've decided to do in, here in this section. You want to know how many emails I got about that uh, banner that we put up on the, on the road? Guess how many? Well, not zero. That would be ridiculous. <laughs> that would, that's not reasonable. Uh, really, though, I got one. I got one email. And let me tell you, the one email I got was great. Because the email s said... Alan, I love this church. 
And, and I'm, I want to have a conversation with you because I want to talk about what we're communicating to the community by having that up there. I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm just saying I want to, because I care about our church, I want to participate in this. I can do that. I can have those conversations. That's a healthy, beautiful thing. I love that. I love that. There's, you know, our our um, uh, numbers uh, have increased a little bit over this past year, and as, if you're looking at the budget and comparing it to last year, our budget has not increased. We're holding steady. Just, bare, just a bare increase in our budget, but overall, we're, we are not increasing our staff. The reason we can do that, partially we have to do that because of the economy, but the reason we can get away with that is that more and more of you are stepping up to say, I'm an owner here. I'm not just sitting in a seat. I'm an owner here. This is my church, and I want to help in any way that I can. Mountain Perk here was designed by Rosie and gang, volunteers who just said, I want to help, I want to make it work. This room, we've got volunteers in the band, volunteers in the choir, volunteers uh, doing tech. Every week, doing great work. We've got uh, uh, Greg Strickland over there in, in children's ministry who owns the technical stuff. It's his, he owns it, he takes care of it. We've got the fishers in the student ministry who, who are so excited and passionate about what's happening there. We've got Paul doing Hope Men's Group midweek. We've got Rita who continues to make amazing food on Wednesday nights for the groups that, that gather there. Juno has identified a guy named David who is his assistant on Sunday mornings. And David does all the work and Juno gets all the credit. It's just this incredible thing. People after people. Elena and the team with yoga ministries who continues to offer free yoga, well, I don't know, 6, 7, 28 times a week to hundreds of people simply because they love this church and they care about what, what reputation this place has here in this community. I think God wants to affirm that. It's a beautiful thing. But I also think that there are some things that God wants to challenge us on. There should always be something to be affirmed and something to challenge. A couple times here in our list of seven, Jesus did not have something to affirm, and that's, that's his deal. But I think for us, we should always look for something to affirm and then something to challenge. And two things pop into my mind. Um, one challenge for Mountain Park is that we would have a global perspective. And that we are going to be talking about this over the next few weeks. We're going to be talking about this over the next year. Now, Mountain Park from day one has been a place that has loved others here in the community, here in the city, in other, in other, in other um, cities. Our ministry to Rocky Point and Honduras is, continues to be an important part of who we are. But both those places, Rocky Point and Honduras, are places that have a significant gospel presence. There are churches. There are missionaries. If someone is interested in knowing who Jesus is, there's plenty of places where persons can go and get connected with the life-changing person of Jesus Christ. But there are places in this world, numerous places, with many, many people, groups of people, who have no Christian presence whatsoever. There are no churches. There are no missionaries. There are no large groups of Christians to have influence over communities. People who, do, who have not been invited into the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. And who's going who's gonna to reach them? Who's going to go there? Who's going to go to these more dangerous, more difficult places to go after? Who's going to go there? I think Jesus is challenging us to say, okay, Mountain Park, 
you have a global perspective? Again, we're going to be talking about this more in the next few weeks as our Christmas outreach offering comes around. We're going to be doing some different things in 2011. Pretty excited about that. I also think that Jesus would want to challenge us in, in a similar way to how he challenged the seven churches in terms of be faithful. Be faithful. Let's be faithful to the truth. Here's what I mean by that, is that if there's something that we know to be true, to be the way that God has set us up in Scripture to say this is what the truth is, this is how to live life, may we actually live our lives consistent with that with things that we know are truth in Scripture. For example, we know that it is not wise to have a sexual or emotional relationship with someone of the opposite sex that we're not married to. Someone who is other than the person that we are married to. Okay? We know sexual relationship or even a deep emotional relationship. Let me tell you about what I'm struggling with with my wife. We know that that's not healthy. We know that acting like we're married in every way but not being married is not a wise decision. We know that we are to fight for our husbands and wives, for our kids, whether we feel like it or not. There is just a value for this that is so consistent in Scripture. But what happens is we hear that and then we walk away from this place almost as if I hadn't even mentioned it. I'm not being judgmental here. I'm not. This is not about judgment. This is about compassion. Because I see on a regular, regular basis the results of not living the way God has invited us to. It's not a judgment. I'm not pointing fingers at all. It's coming from a place of love and compassion. To say, this is what it does to our hearts, to our souls. May we be faithful to the truth. Now, if you're experiencing some kind of um, moral situation, and you're not sure what Scripture has to say about that, that's, that's legitimate. I get that. Continue the search to find out, God, what do you really want from me here? Continue the search. If you're not sure, continue the search. Seek the truth. Great. Be passionate about that. But if you know what the right thing is to do and we're just ignoring it, we're just sabotaging our souls. So I think Jesus is, is lovingly and compassionately saying, be faithful. Be faithful to the truth. It'll change your life. Be faithful. So Jesus is the head. He's the boss. This is all about Jesus. He gives us an example here in Revelation, saying, here's what I'm looking for. Here's what I'm looking for. He is aware of the unique situations in all those seven churches. And He is aware of our unique situation here. So I invite you to, to ask with me, Jesus, what do you want to say 
to this group of people who gather on Pecos and 24th Street. Jesus, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to say to your individual heart? In what way, Jesus, do you want to affirm my journey? In what way, Jesus, do you want to challenge my journey? And may we be strong enough and courageous enough to allow Jesus, as, as He interacts with us, to remind us who He is, that's what He does with all seven churches, to remind us who He is, who it is that is speaking to us, to affirm us. May we, may we hear His affirmation. May you be encouraged with that. And may you be open to the challenge. May we be open to whatever challenge He has for us. It's a dangerous journey. I'm excited to continue to take it with you. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thanks for this example here in chapters 2 and 3 in Revelation. What a gift you've given us in terms, in terms of a picture of what Jesus is looking for. And so God, I, I pray that you would speak words of affirmation to folks here in this room. Maybe there's people who are searching, haven't quite yet accepted you as, as Christ. God, may you affirm a genuine and passionate search. May you affirm those who are new believers and just feel so overwhelmed that everybody else knows everything and they don't know anything. God, would you affirm them? God, we, we have this list of all the things that we know we need to take care of. God, would you just set that list aside for a moment and affirm things that we are doing well, things that we are trying hard on. Affirm us as, as parents when we get so discouraged that we would see glimpses of, yes, your kid knows that he is loved. She knows she is beautiful on the inside. God, would you affirm us in those journeys? And God, balanced with that, I pray that you would give us the strength to accept your challenge. Not that list of 28 things that we need to take care of. God, would you identify the one thing right now that you want us to take a look at, to honestly take a look at? As a church, as individuals, as families, as small groups, may we accept your challenge. Go with us. God, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks for coming. We will see you at the uproarious business meeting at 12 o'clock. It'll be a blast.